Father, we thank you tonight for your holy written word. We thank you for the anointing that destroys yokes, removes burdens, and brings change into our lives in such wonderful and glorious ways. We thank you, Lord, tonight that you speak by your word and you anoint your servants to speak. And so that's what we're believing you for tonight. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and lives the things we need to hear. And we give you honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Before we get into the message, I do want to thank, I, I know that there were a bunch of you guys helped get tables and stuff ready uh, so that nobody has to stay over after church. Isn't that nice? Praise the Lord. And um, so we, uh, we're thankful for that. And of course, I just want to add my invitation to everybody to be here on Sunday. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. And um, we are believing God for a great, great day. I know we're having company. Uh, I don't know who all you might have invited, but I know we have uh, out-of-town guests. I know that it's just going to be a great day. You don't have to wear a suit. Of course, most of you don't anyway, but I'm just that makes me feel better to say that. Uh, so I think a lot of people are wearing their T-shirts that day. Um, but anyway, it's just going to be a great, great, great day. Praise the Lord. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me today to the book of John, chapter 16. We are teaching a series of messages we're calling Making Room for the Holy Ghost. What do we mean by that statement? Well, what we mean is to consciously choose to put the Holy Spirit in the highest place in our lives, personally, individually, and also corporately as a church. It's being led by the Spirit and obeying God in all areas of our life. It is obeying His specific commands and His guidance. It means allowing Him, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> to manifest in our services through His anointing and through His gifts. It involves laying our plans and our preconceived ideas aside and learning to yield to His. To use the terminology that John the Baptist used, it's me decreasing and Him increasing. Making room for the Holy Spirit. This is not a topic that a lot of people are much interested in, it seems. There are many churches who survive year after year after year and they don't get very far into these kinds of things because for many reasons, traditional ideas, unscriptural ideas, various types of things, many people just don't want to yield to the Holy Spirit. Some people are afraid to. Some ministers are afraid that they won't get to run things. Um, other individuals sometimes are concerned they won't get to run things. If we just allow the Holy Spirit to actually be who He is, God, then what in the world would happen? <laughs> well, I can tell you, good things happen. Good things happen. And I have uh, been a Christian long enough and a Spirit-filled Christian long enough and a minister long enough to find out that this doesn't happen by accident. You have to want this. There has to be a hunger and a thirst for spiritual things if you really want to have a great and mighty move of the Spirit. Now, some people think that we who are Pentecostal, we just are you know, too emotional, they think. 
we're too loud, we're too boisterous, we're too easily excited. But the fact is, joy, if it's allowed to manifest, is going to come out in some pretty exuberant ways. You know, when somebody's looking at you, there's a frown on their face, and they say, I've got a lot of joy. (laughs) You just don't really believe that, do you? And you know, when they really do have joy, they don't even have to tell you. And when a church is filled with joy, you know it. And you'll never really be full of joy without being full of the Spirit. Not like you should. Not like God wants you to, to the fullest extent of that. And of course, we want this not just because we want to feel good. We want this not just because we want to have a little excitement on Sunday morning so we don't go to sleep. That's not what it's about at all. We want God to do what only God can do. Only God can heal the sick. Only God can deliver the addicted and the oppressed. Only God can heal relationships that nobody else can seem to fix and even the people themselves don't have answers for. Only God can do that. And it's amazing what just a moment of time in a a surcharged atmosphere that's charged with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what that can do. People leave those kinds of places and realize that something that was wrong in their body is no longer wrong, but they're healed. We heard those testimonies Sunday about God's healing power. Uh, It's just amazing, you know, and and, and in those kind of uh, atmospheres, those kinds of services, nobody has to even lay hands on people sometimes. We believe in it, and it's good, but uh, it's not always necessary. Just getting in the presence of God makes all the difference in the world. And I hope you get really hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. And the Bible does say, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. And so we believe that every time we gather with the hunger and expectation for the things of God, that he moves in our midst to fill us. You can be greatly organized. You can be very professional. You can be extremely polished. And at first glance, that is so pleasant. But you know, you can be all of those things and still be pretty dry. You can be a word person. And you know, we are, we call ourselves Freedom Word Church. We believe in the word of faith message as taught in the New Testament. But you can be a word person. And if you're not careful, you can get really dry with formulas that are accurate, with quotations that are scriptural, with going through the same motions all the time in the same way from your prayer time, your personal devotion time, to even worship services at church Till if we're not careful, we just kind of move, nudge over the Holy Spirit out of the situation. And he doesn't have any room to move. He doesn't leave us per se, no. But we're not giving him an opportunity to do what he does. We're not giving him an opportunity to move in our midst. So this requires me to decrease. It requires me to put my 
personal feelings and my personal whims and my personal preferences to the side and yield to the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what many of us did when we were first baptized in the Holy Ghost. I know for me, it was a big step because the church I grew up in did not teach the baptism in the Holy Spirit the way we understand it today from Scripture. And we thought you had basically everything you needed when you got saved, and that was all there was. And so for me to respond in that Pentecostal church service that night and go forward and seek the Lord for the fullness of the Spirit, that was a huge uh, yielding for me. I, I really had to move out of my comfort zone. And there are times when we just have to do that. You know, sometimes it might be just you running around the building. Amen. Amen. It might be you just standing up and, and, and putting your hands all the way up. Let your belly stick out. Put your hands all the way up. And just shout to God with a voice of triumph. I mean, you might say, well, I just don't know that that's all that important. Well, then you just, you've got some things to learn then. Because there's something about the human will yielding to the will of God, even in simple things like praise and worship, that releases the power of God to do things that won't happen without that yielding. You remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? You remember when they sang and praised God at, at midnight? They, were, they prayed and then they sang and were singing praises uh, to God at midnight. The prisoners heard them. That means they were loud. Now, I, I, you know, I've never been in prison. Don't want to ever be in prison except as a visitor. But uh, I can tell you this, that I'm sure that in prison uh, about midnight, probably most of the people want to sleep. And I'd say in that old jail, there were probably people that the last thing they wanted to hear was these two Holy Ghost-filled preachers shouting. So there was a whole lot to that yielding. But you know the story. God from heaven heard that. He, he liked it so well that he dispatched evidently an angel or some way or another. He shook that jail to every man's bands were loosed, the Bible says. My point is this. Their yielding not only blessed them, it blessed everybody in that jail. So sometimes you just don't realize what it does to bless other people when you yield to the Holy Ghost. It's not just about you. It's not all about you. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so we're hungry. We want these moves of God. And we, we have a great flow and a great uh, time together when we meet, of course. But there's more, church. There's more. There's further to go. There's more to know. There's more to experience. There's a greater depth of the things of the Spirit than we've ever known before. And as we walk on to know the Lord and walk in the things of God and walk in the things of the Spirit, those things will begin to manifest among us and our eyes will get open to revelation, truth, and insight. And we'll see things, know things, hear things, experience things, and do things we've never done before in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands up and just praise Him right now. Let's do that. Father, thank You. Thank You for the Holy Ghost. 
He's our comforter, our helper, our intercessor, our strengthener, our advocate, our standby. He is our helper. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. There's a little chorus. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. He's my comforter, my helper. On him I do depend. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Sing it with me one more time. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. He's my comforter, my helper. On him I do depend. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, you'll remember you're in John 16. Say there. We're getting there. But you'll remember we started this study in 2 Kings 4, the lady from Shunem, the great lady from Shunem, who recognized the hand of God on Elisha, recognized the anointing. She recognized the Holy Spirit upon this man of God, made him a room. She was wealthy enough to do so. Her husband agreed. They made him a room so that in his travels he could stop as he needed to and wanted to rest. And they put a bed in there and a table, a lamp, so forth, some place to sit. And so the story goes, of course, that over the course of time, Elisha responded to her personally uh, by speaking a word of the Lord to her that granted to her her greatest desire, which was to have a child. And so she had a son. A little later, a few years later, the child died. And she went, got the man of God, brought him back. She had laid the child in that room. The room she made for the Holy Ghost, the room for the anointing, the room for God's anointed. All that's really the same. You'll never receive a great flow of the Holy Spirit from anybody you don't respect. The anointing that you respect is the anointing you will attract. So she had entered into a relationship in the spiritual dimension with this great man of God and the power of God that was upon him. And so not only did that anointing, the Holy Spirit, give her her heart's desire, but in the resurrection of her son, which did come to pass, he met her greatest need. So I don't know tonight. It might be good for you just to do a quick inventory. What is your heart's desire? What's your greatest desire? And then the next question, what is your greatest need? It's all in the Holy Spirit. It's all wrapped up in that yielding to, making room for the Holy Spirit. Are you doing that? Because if you are, you're in line for blessing. If he's constantly shut out, constantly pushed to the side, constantly put off for some other time that never seems to come, then the element of the supernatural we're talking about, the level of the supernatural we'll talk, supernatural we're talking about, you won't really enjoy to any great extent. So we want to get that fixed. John chapter 16 and verse number 7, Jesus is speaking and he says, Nevertheless, 
I tell you the truth. It is expedient or it is profitable. It is better for you that I go away. And we pointed out both times before this when we read it that this must have seemed very strange for these guys to hear. How could it be good for this man, Jesus, to go away? But he explains, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. And the word comforter there is from the Greek word paraclete, and it means comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. It has a sevenfold meaning. The Holy Spirit is equally all those things to each of us, to every one of us. He's not more of a comforter than a helper. He's not more of a helper than he is an advocate. He is across the board, totally available in all those areas to us. He doesn't have any weak points. And so when you read that word in the King James, it's comforter. Uh, some translations use the term helper. Both are correct. But remember that one word, whatever one you're looking at, is one of seven describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you also know that uh, that would describe Jesus to the disciples. So he's telling them there is another comforter. And we read that last week over in uh, John chapter 14. Not another as indifferent, but another as in the same. Amen. You know, sometimes people buy a car they really like, and they, they just, you know, they, they, they really do like that car. And so when it comes time for a new car, they get another one of those cars. They don't go buy a different brand, a different, but they get another one of those. <clears throat> That's what Jesus is talking about. Not a different type of comforter, helper, but another one who is like me, Jesus was saying. And he says, if I go not away, this comforter will not come to you. Now, I'm not sure that they understood why, how that was, but Jesus knew what he was talking about. And, of course, we understand it now because we know that he did come on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus went on to say, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Well, he did. Thank God he did. And here's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit wants to do. He, when he has come, he will reprove or convince, hence the term conviction. If someone's convicted of a crime, that means the jury of their peers became convinced of their guilt. And so they were convicted. They are a convict. It's everything about the convincing argument for their guilt. So when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict or convince the world, number one, of sin, number two, verse 10, of righteousness, and number three, of judgment. Those are the three main areas the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. You're really usually wasting your time trying to tell an unsaved person why they don't need to drink, they don't need to do drugs, they don't need to commit adultery, they don't need to 
you know, look at porn all day. They don't need to, or any part of the day for that matter. They don't need to, they don't need to do any of those, you know, it's easy. And this is true for parents and grandparents, and you, you have to be careful about this because you want to, you know, you just, well, first of all, you just want to slap them upside the head and say, what's wrong with you? But you can't do that. So uh, you want to tell them how this, this is going to hurt you, this is going to kill you, this, you know, all those things that you know to be true. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do it that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't nag. He comes and does a gentle work. Sometimes it's, it's, it's very uh, intense. But yet, being who he is, in love, he convinces those who are not saved that, about their sin. And in the description of that, Jesus here says, and we've read it already, so I won't go back and read every little word right now. But Jesus says there that the sin that he convicts the world of is the sin of unbelief. Then, you know, maybe many of us would think, well, if a person has a drug problem, that's what they need to be dealing with. Or if they have um, some kind of a anger issue and they're always, you know, uh, abusing other people or whatever, well, you know, that's what they need to deal with. And you could go down the line, they, you know, they have an uh, addiction to gambling and they, they spend all their money and then some, and they're broke and busted, disgusted because, you know, they spent all their money gambling. You say, well, that's their problem. Well, yes, it is a problem, but their real problem is they have never fully embraced and believed Jesus as their Savior. Because when Jesus fully comes into a life, he delivers of those bondages. He delivers of those addictions. He delivers people from the mess they're in. And so that's what we need to work on because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to work on. The sin of unbelief. He wants to convince them of righteousness. And you see uh, uh, you, people, as I quoted uh, Brother Billy Graham, the great evangelist, uh, uh, you can't get people saved, he said, until you get them lost. And what he meant was, of course, that people have to be convinced they need to be saved. Why would somebody decide they're going to all of a sudden start getting up on Sunday morning and going to church and they're going to commit to a, quote, Christian and biblical lifestyle up to the point even of giving 10% of their income and all the rest of the things that, that uh, many Christians do. Why would they do that if they are not convinced of the Lordship of Jesus and if they're not convinced of the righteousness of that kind of living? So you see, the more you study this, the more you realize you're not going to nag somebody into the kingdom. You're not going to browbeat them into living right. It's going to take a work and a move of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about making room for Him, and so part of us making room for the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people we, we love is that we love them in spite of what they do or say that is unlovely. And I don't mean that we are permissive to the sense of watching people self-destruct, but I'm meaning we do not jump down people's throats nagging them all the time. We do pray for them. You know, sometimes it might be more important rather than preaching another sermon the next time you see them 
It might be a little more important to shut off the television tomorrow night for an hour and pray in tongues over them. Make room for the Holy Ghost. The, he has come, he will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and the other part of that is that they can truly be made righteous. You know, a lot of people think they're unredeemable. There really are a lot of people who think they're too far gone. They think the Lord couldn't change me. I can't ever be fixed. Well, that's a lie. And it takes a working and moving of the Holy Spirit to convince people that righteousness is available for them. And then thirdly, judgment. Because the sad reality is that if we don't wake up to the fact that uh, sin needs to be dealt with and we don't wake up to righteousness, then the judgment of God will find us in a place of eternal separation, isolation, alienation from the Lord in eternal damnation. And that's not where any of us want to be and there's nobody on the planet you want to be in that place. Amen. So the Holy Spirit works mightily in many, many ways. And so Jesus, I guess, anticipating that we come to these kinds of statements and uh, we, we appreciate what he says, but sometimes what he says provokes even more questions. Jesus kind of uh, preempts that and says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Let's take a moment and just analyze that verse a little bit. When the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. So that means, of course, nobody that's led into error is led there by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how will I judge if it's the leading from the Holy Spirit or not? You go to the source and the basis of all truth. Does it align with the Word of God? The Holy Spirit authored this book. He breathed this book. And... He would never now contradict it. So you'll never be led to do anything that contradicts the Word because the Holy Spirit will not lead you to do anything contradictory to the Word. He guides us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit does not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. Now I wonder what... Or to whom he's listening. If he only says what he hears, who's he hearing? Well, obviously it's the Father and the Son. I like to say it this way. He hears throne room conversations. And that's what he tells us. That's what he tells you in your private time what the Father and the Son are discussing, what's being said in the presence of the God who created the universe, those conversations I want to be in on. And 
the way we are, if I can use this term, the way we are privy to those kinds of conversations is by making room in our life for the Holy Spirit. And I might say it this way, making time for the Holy Spirit. You're probably not going to get this level information uh, in the commercial break of the TV show we're watching. Now, Lord, if you're going to speak to me, I think they got about, they're going to run about three of these. You better hurry, because I've got this story to watch. You tell your age when you call it a story. Anybody remember when people call the stories, watch my story? Um, the edge of night. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, that's not how it works. Now, I'm not saying you never watch TV. I'm not saying you never watch a movie. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... You need always to make time for the Holy Spirit. You need to have a time when you're listening. When He is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, we would say in the presence of the Father and the Son, whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And, 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 I mean, that's wonderful what we just read, but there's more, and He will show you Things to come. Can you imagine the problems we would have avoided if we'd have been closely following and listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives? Not trying to put condemnation on you, not trying to get you in a bad mood, but it's probably profitable that we think about the times we've missed it in light of a verse like this to think, well, I don't have to do that anymore. Because I'm sure if I would have been listening to the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have spent that money or lost that money. I would not have gotten involved in that situation. Or sadly, sometimes I wouldn't have gotten involved with that person and had all the trouble that I had and all the mess that I got into if I'd have just listened to the Holy Spirit because He would have showed me things to come. Amen. He knows tomorrow better than we remember yesterday. So Jesus says, He, the Holy Spirit, in other words, shall glorify me. How's He going to do this? For He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And then He's not done. It gets better. Jesus says, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So if we just boil that down to the simplest way possible to look at it, the Holy Spirit shows us the heart of the Father. Everything that God knows, if you need to know it, the Holy Spirit has the capability of communicating that to you. Everything that God knows, everything that Jesus has, if you need to know it and if you need to have it, the one who's living inside you right now is able to give that to you and manifest that in your life. I mean, that, that is something to think about. That's something to meditate on. It's something to shout about. It's really amazing. And, and all this is available to all of us. Notice there's nowhere in this passage Jesus says, this is available to apostles with 50 years seniority. This is available to people who give X number of dollars per year to the church. 
Well, this is available to the person who does this or that. No, no. This is just available to all of us. Isn't that good to know? Let's go to John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7, verse number 37. We're talking about making room for the Holy Ghost. Jesus here is, again, uh, he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Actually, of course, John 7 precedes John 14 and 16. But uh, I wanted to come back to this because there's some things here that, that I, I think we should close with tonight. Jesus says in verse, or actually verse 37, it gives us, um, uh, uh, it sets up the, the, the occasion and then we have some quotes from Jesus. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, <coughs> excuse me, out of his belly shall flow, <coughs> excuse me, out of his belly shall flow rivers. Everybody say rivers. Rivers, rivers of living water. Excuse me, let me read it again. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we know that Jesus has been glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given. Do you know that the word belly there is the same word that is translated womb? So he's, and you might have a margin, uh, marginal note in your Bible that tells us the word heart. Your heart is your spirit, the real you, the inner man. <clears throat> That's the basis of who you are. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live inside a body. The body's not the real you, it's the spiritual nature that's you, and there's a soul connected to you, the mind, will, and emotions. So it's out of this most inner being in the heart of man that is likened to a womb. So what he's saying here is that things are birthed from your spirit. Out of your spiritual womb shall flow rivers. Flow there means to run like water running. It's not stagnant. It's not a pool, a pond. It's a flow. Out of your spiritual womb, and this is not a male-female thing, this is just a spiritual thing, your innermost being, your spirit, shall flow or run rivers of living water. The potential for supernatural blessing in every area and on every level comes from within you. It is never 
subject to natural limitations or circumstances. There is nothing going on in your world or mine today or that ever will go on in this natural world that can keep you from allowing rivers of life to flow out of you that will give birth to the visions, the dreams, and the promises, and the provisions of God that he has made in his word. Hallelujah. This river of living water is the same kind of water that Revelation 22 verse 1 says proceeds or flows right out from the throne of God. It's the same water that Ezekiel 47 in prophesying of the millennial temple and so forth that there will be a river that will flow there and everything that that river touches will live. Your healing, your life, your miracle, your anointing, your gifting, your provision, your power, all flows from inside of you. You have a spiritual womb, a spiritual place of gestation where God sows His Word into you. The divine seed of His Word will then produce that life-giving harvest that will change you and your life and those around you forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know, one of the most simple and powerful ways, not the only way, but one of the most simple and powerful ways that you and I let the river of life inside of us flow out is when we pray in other tongues. It's an absolute key to allowing those rivers to flow. And I like that rivers is plural. All the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. Genesis chapter 2, right in the dawn of man's history, one of the things that's mentioned in Scripture that God wanted Adam to know about was these rivers, plural. There was a dividing of the waters coming out of Eden, and rivers flowed. And, and, and he even mentions uh, where one of them would go, where Adam would find gold. Well, there were no malls and Kroger stores in the Garden of Eden. Those weren't necessary. <clears throat> but he did have a wife. <laughs> so God told him where the gold was. But what I want you to see is, from the very beginning, God has had multiple streams of resources and supply to come into our lives to meet every need over and above. Like the great woman of Shunem, her greatest desire was met when she made room for the Holy Ghost. And then later, when Satan tried to steal her blessing, her greatest need was met because she had made room. For the Holy Ghost. And so I encourage you, spend time praying in tongues. Seek the Lord. And what we're going to do, it's about two minutes after eight. We're going to pray in the Spirit for at least five minutes. Now this is important because if you don't normally do this, you're going to find what a discipline this is. And you need to be doing this at home. And I would encourage you to take several times a day and do this. You don't necessarily have to do 
30 minutes or an hour all at once. That's good. But do several periods of the day until you begin to get more comfortable. And I just want to encourage you to do that. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, just ask him right now while we get ready to pray. Nick's going to begin to play just some music. We're not going to sing. We're just going to, I mean, if we sing, it'll be in the spirit. It'll be a new song. It won't be a, a known song. We're just going to raise our voices and just allow.